0: Coming up with This Week in Computer Hardware, hands-on with Corsair's Hydro X-Series Custom Liquid Cooling. Let's talk about SSD warranties. The Sapphire Pulse Radeon RX 5700 XT gets benchmarked. Sega Genesis Mini, how about 42 games, people? All that more coming up next on Twitch. Netcasts you love.
1: From people you trust.
0: This This is Twitch. This is Twitch, This Week in Computer Hardware, episode 529, recorded on August 15th, 2019. The reversing PSU fan sucks. This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you by Mint Mobile. They provide the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost, because everything is online. Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just $15 a month with their three-month introductory plan. And get the plan shipped to your door for free at MintMobile.com slash Twitch. Welcome to Twitch This Week, Computer Hardware, Twitch Weekly Show. The name is to the most engaging, most delightful, most affordable, most complicated, most simple, most something. We just want to be an excellent source of PC, mobile, console, desktop, laptop, cell phone, news <laughs> and reviews. If you You've hear the dulcet the tones of... You know, we try to cover the gamut. Sebastian Peak is the voice you're hearing if you're watching the video. And it's the voice you're hearing if you're listening to the audio. Beautiful. True.
1: Yes. Audio is the same again. on video and audio. I've noticed. The podcast sounds the same as the, uh,
0: the video version. Believe it or not. Uh, for those of you who are watching and are displeased with the saturation of the colors, uh, the color tone of my video, I have actually completely blown out all of the settings on this camera. I will try a second Sony a6000. I'd like to point out that it's not the sensor or the camera I'm using, because it is, is, oddly enough, the exact same camera and sensor that is being used by Sebastian Peak, and practically the same lens, and I have actually swapped out the same lens.
1: That's Patrick, it's not possible for this camera to be in two places at the same time. You have a point,
0: sir. They're different not cameras, just But charming. it's same model. Not just a hardware benchmarker, but a metaphysician, too. True. Yes. <laughs> and and yeah, possibly it's a, it's, a time traveler. It's a 24 megapixel Sony uh, A-series sensor. I assure you, it is not the camera. Um, uh, and we've tried a whole bunch of settings. And if I could show you a clip of what the video looks like after it's run through Skype uh, and the switcher versus what's coming out of my camera, you would be shocked and amazed because they are radically different. And I realize other hosts have different results. It's because they're using radically different cameras and radically different lighting environments. So that's all I'm going to say about uh, videography and the conditions of the room I'm shooting in. We should probably talk about hardware because technically this is This Week in Computer Hardware. And while camera sensors are definitely hardware, uh, we should talk about some of the excitement that's going on with you. Last week, Behind Sebastian, you caught a sneak yes. peek of the delightfully colorful build he did, or you did, <laughs> with Corsair's X Series Custom Cooling. That was announced at CES, and is essentially uh, Corsair has an all-in-one website where you can pick all of the things, all of the widgets, all of the tubing and plumbing and tanks and... Uh, it's just a, it's, it's, you forget if you haven't done liquid cooling, custom liquid cooling, right? Cause the last few years it's all been about, um, closed systems where you get yeah. a box and inside the box is a pump slash heat sink with tubing attached to a radiator. Um, you, uh, you know, you're looking at like a, a cold plate, a fluid chamber, um, and then a whole bunch of tubing and couplings. Was I mean? How did you enjoy the process of specing this out and building? Did you miss anything when you spec'd it out the first time and have to order more parts? Because uh, a big thing about this is that they have this fairly sophisticated website. We talked about it before that walks you through. I have this processor and I, I have this GPU and I want to connect this and this and this to the liquid cooling system.
1: Yeah, and Was it goes it a little fun? bit more. Than that Because they also ask you what case you have, exactly what motherboard you have, and try to figure out what you can fit in your case. And for me, I went through all of this, and I didn't really provide a case because I was working with uh, Corsair on this actually before it was officially launched. Mm-hmm. And while I had this stuff in-house uh, during the month of uh, Riseember, as I called it, the end of June into the beginning of July when I was doing nothing but CPU testing – I had to put it on the back burner until that was all over. But then I realized I was kind of, uh, was procrastinating because I'd never done a liquid. I've never done custom liquid cooling before and it was intimidating and it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Although I will say like, as I was going through everything and making sure I like laid it all out and did some rough measurements and figure out what the length of tubing I'd need. And it, it became uh, a lot easier because of just the realization hitting, like, I'm doing all of this dry. like You don't don't add any liquid to the loop until you're completely done building the loop, and everything is nicely connected, and you've double-checked all of your seals. There's still a little bit of of fear, because I just went for it and threw it on my rare and, you know, impossible to find Ryzen 9 3900X. And grabbed, of course, the most expensive GPU I have here, which is a uh, RTX 2080 Ti Founders Edition said, hey, what the heck? I'll rip the stock cooler off of this GPU and slap a water block on it. And never done this before. It was very easy, though. <laughs> and I will say, once I figured out how to get the Founders Edition uh, cooler off, which it turns out is a simple matter of just taking the back plate off, removing some screws on the back uh, I.O. panel and then pulling I was attempting to disassemble the entire thing at once, which was a mistake. But once you get through, you know, the the setup and the planning stage, and like you mentioned, like making sure you have all the right fittings and stuff, and I I only asked for flexible tubing. I did not want to, as my first attempt ever, also have to deal with rigid tubing. So just flexible stuff, which left me some room for error, along with the fact that I was using some different... uh, types of adapters one of which was like a 45 degree angle adapter that was you could rotate 360 degrees so i had a little bit of extra reach when i needed it but just to kind of briefly go over what the parts are they they provide a single pump and reservoir combo no matter what you do as far as speccing out your system there's only one they don't have a separate right. reservoir or a separate pump. So that's that's it. Like Then there's different radiators. There's two different thicknesses of radiators they offer. And and thicker radiators are generally better. I know fin, fin density matters a lot. We could go into fin density versus radiator thickness and uh, th- like the pressure from your fans and then push versus pull and then push-pull and all that other stuff. Some of the same stuff that we've talked about with liquid coolers that were all-in-one closed-loop coolers for the last decade or so. And, of course, right. Corsair has been at the forefront of those. Like, the H100 was kind of what brought those to the forefront as... I know it was, it's was it been almost a decade, I think, since the, the H100 was really kind of changing how people viewed liquid cooling, and it was far more effective than a lot of the air coolers of that time because this yeah. was in an era before the giant... Just ridiculously efficient ultra quiet coolers like the Noctua NHD 14s of the world were out there, and the silver, the silver arrow, I think, from Thermalright. And of course, now we have giant like be quiet coolers like the Dark Rock Pro 4, very similar to like a Noctua D15, which is the current
0: one, I believe, or is there a D16 by now? But Let's pause for a second, right? Because yeah. a classic at this point, and, and we'll talk about it more in a, in a couple minutes, like, you know, $35, you get a Cooler Master Hyper 212 or Hyper 212 Evo CPU cooler. It's an yeah. air cooler. It's not particularly huge. It uses copper heat pipes. Uh, it's got sort of a copper, if memory serves, it's copper and aluminum on the base plate. It may yeah. just be less, uh, just aluminum. Um,
1: it's, it's copper because it's those direct contact pipes. Yeah. There's four pipes, and they just directly contact the CPU.
0: If you're not, overclocking at the far end of the extreme of you know some sort of 140 watt CPU it probably has enough thermal capacity to do whatever you want it to do fan might get a little loud but the fan doesn't get particularly loud um, you know it's amazing how much cooling you get for $35 you know when you were looking at at this system you know were you thinking gosh, I'm going to have this amazing, you know, because I feel like this choice was more for aesthetics than it was for sort of real-world performance. Um, and it's kind of probably going to irritate Corsair me saying that, but, you know, well, I like liquid yeah. coolers. I have liquid coolers. And anything I plan on overclocking the snot out of, I tend to put a, a, a closed-loop liquid cooler on it just because I like having more thermal capacity than I can use. Um, but if you're not overclocking, this is almost entirely an aesthetic choice.
1: I will say yes, with the one condition that with GPUs, that's not the case. Okay. With with the CPU, you you're absolutely right. You can get a cooler like the Hyper 212 Evo, which you know, even though it's not a loud cooler, it is around 44, mm-hmm. 45 dB if you really push it, if the fan is glowing close to 100%. But with closed-loop coolers, when you're comparing those to larger air coolers, there's less of an argument. It, it becomes far less compelling because at some point you just run out of fluid in the loop. And if right. you are really, really pushing a CPU and you're getting close to that TJ max temperature where it's actually going to start throttling the CPU under extreme load, then at some point the liquid in that loop becomes hot enough that it's no longer effective at cooling the CPU. Just like at some point... You run right. out of space, like to put the heat on your heat sink. At some point, the pipes have just reached <laughs> a certain temperature. <laughs> They've been saturated. Those, those yeah, it's it, and There's nowhere else for it to go. So the the idea there, if if that's what the limit you're hitting, then building a large loop where you have a lot of tubing and a, a reservoir and multiple radiators, there's a lot more liquid. And so the overall temperature of the liquid takes a lot longer to get to that point of no return. So there's one advantage: if you were right. just pushing your system 100 percent 24/7, you would run into that thermal limit a lot later, if ever, with a custom system than you would with, you know conventional options. But you know, the, the CPU temperatures that I, I saw from this, while considerably lower, and I was only looking at it versus my initial findings with this R9 3900X with the, the stock cooler, the, the Wraith Prism that it ships with, which obviously is not what any enthusiast is going to do if they're even potentially going to be overclocking this thing. And I hadn't done any overclocking sure. testing yet. But it went from 89 degrees under load, which is high, mm-hmm. to about 75 so it was like 74. That's a so big it was about jump. A 50, That's a huge it's delta. It's a big jump. And I would expect a similar jump if I were to go to a very large air cooler as well. Maybe not quite that much, and I've got to do that testing still. But okay. the huge, huge difference was with the GPU. And imagine, like, if you're thinking about it, the CPU has its own heat spreader on it. And there's internal, some sort of internal compound, whether it's silver solder or some sort of thermal paste, between... Mm-hmm the heat spreader that you actually see and the dye that's down beneath. And there's different schools of thoughts about this and people have absolutely delitted their CPUs to take that heat spreader off, put their own thermal compound on or actually just put a heatsink directly up against the die, which is dangerous because you always risk cracking the die. <laughs> so, uh, you know, be that as it may, a GPU, when I took the stock cooler off of this Uh, RTX 2080 Ti, that's a bare GPU die. And when you put a water block on your bare GPU die, you are exposing it to the absolute best thermals you can probably ever get out of that PCB and that GPU. And that's where the huge, huge difference was, where under load, before removing the stock cooler, on an open test bench like this one, in about a 25 degree room Celsius, I was getting between 75 and 77 C under load. And that's with the fans ramping up nicely, and it was staying under 80, and which is fine. It was never throttling, but you know, you, you start to hear the fans, and right, you know, high 70s for a very high performance GPU like that is great. But you put that inside of a case, you don't have the best airflow. It's going to be a lot higher than that because again, open test bench. I put this the GPU block on it ran it in this system my loads went down to 47 to 48 c with the same benchmarks Whoa. in the same room so we're talking 30 degrees cooler with the same gpu and it's just remarkable like the the amount of headroom you gain from water cooling your gpu like i'm putting a full block on it where your vrms the memory and the gpu itself are all being water cooled and direct contact like that. It's just phenomenal, the difference. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't produce the most impressive loop ever. It was a very simple loop. Uh, I could have added a second radiator to it, although I wasn't overclocking. So there was no real need for that. My system is what Corsair would consider a level one. They do three different levels. Level two would be like you're quiet, but with overclocking, uh, capabilities like where they had a second radiator and then you can go crazy with multiple radiators and Mm -hmm. push-pull fans and go as nuts as you want to go but with just a single 360 rad and 328 millimeter fans i mean 48 degrees under load from the gpu was just nuts it blew my mind uh and it looks amazing because it's it's like you said it's it's as much about aesthetics really as performance but with gpu it's just it's not even close and i i have Recently, we talked about that EVGA. Uh, it was a 2080 Super, but it was their Hydro Edition where it has an all-in-one 120-millimeter uh, closed loop connected to the GPU. And then, because mm-hmm. it's a hybrid, it has a fan that still cools the VRMs and the memory. But it's it, it, the difference is night and day. It's even with an all-in-one connected to the GPU like that, going underwater completely takes it to another level. However... The loop that I put together cost as much as a twenty eighty super. So I mean, <laughs> you're looking at around six to seven hundred dollars to put together what I did. If you buy and all this is, the parts we, from scratch.
0: And, and we should point out, I think I you know, I think you said it was like um, around it was like six hundred and seventeen dollars was the configuration you put together um, on the their website and you compared that to uh you know if if you pulled together uh, an ek loop uh that priced out between 710 and 780 dollars depending on where you put it so this is competitive it's a single source um they have the configurator to make your life easy mostly uh easy easiest i should probably suggest if you're using a corsair case uh do they have non-corsair case options on that oh yeah yeah okay good the uh it was
1: was surprising like they had Fantex stuff one of the guys on our site last night was was specking one out for his Fantex case and he said there was a bunch of different vendors on there not everything has a picture like you're not going to be able to visualize it the same way as you would Mm -hmm. with corsair stuff when you're looking at it because their configurator uh if for audio listeners the ek configurator if you've ever visited their site i think they were first with that it's mostly like black text on a white page. You have a few diagrams, right. a few examples when you when you wrap it up and look at the total build costs and stuff, but Corsairs is one of those that highly polished. <laughs> yeah, Corsairs is is different. It's it's very polished, it looks like an app. It's like a web app running in your browser that has the ability to kind of go back and forth more easily and visualize what it is you've built so far and where the radiators radi- radiators are. And lets you go back and like change, uh, like the cooling level or maybe change which fans you pick. Because they, they, you can start off with just plain fans or do single LED colored fans or those really cool, like addressable RGB fans where each fan has, I think, eight different lights in it that can individually <laughs> be changed.
0: Well, I mean, it was so, kind of nuts. I think you have $130 in RGB fans in this, or maybe $150. Uh, yeah, in I, RGB do. Fans I do. I do. Yeah. You know, so that adds it, it adds up, I, and I also say, as somebody who spent like 180 dollars on a water block for a CPU, you know, 15 years ago, you know, these prices are not bad. These this is this is not something, you know, this, this is not something that's going to scale the same way, uh, you know, an entry level CPU cooler is going. Um, you gave this the uh, the gold award, if memory serves. Um, did you, I mean, you know, now that you've done it once, do you, do you feel calm and comfortable about this? Or, or do you think you would be just as nervous going into a build like this in the future, putting water would, inside of your expensive computer?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would have no qualms doing it again. The only thing that bugs me is uh, taking it all apart, uh, right. draining it, and safely disconnecting everything and making sure you don't spill any water on anything. Because, like I said, I, you build it all dry, you make sure all the connections are tight. And then you fill it and kind of pray, and you, there's paper towel galore covering everything where there might be drips, <laughs> and <I'm> like looking, <laughs> the first night, I couldn't go to sleep that night, because I'd started uh, this, the loop running, and then I kept running right. back and checking all my paper towels, making sure there weren't any drips, and finally I just like, oh, I, I guess I can trust this until the morning, and it takes a long time to get the bubbles out, I mean, there's different techniques to get bubbles right. out, and I got almost all of them out, but there was... Still, some micro bubbles in the reservoir. Even when I was doing my they testing, they will bother so.
0: you forever.
1: <laughs> yes, they don't look as as nice as I'd like them to look in photos, but I just I dealt with it. I kept waiting and waiting. Like I'm not gonna take a picture of the res until all those bubbles are gone. And then I just gave in.
0: Pro tip: If you uh, do get water on a motherboard, which is terrifying, uh, yank the power cable out of the power supply, and don't yes. use a, a a hair dryer. To try to get the moisture out of there, uh, use a a vacuum instead, but only one with plastic fittings on the end. Because sometimes if you use a blow dryer, it can force water underneath components in a place that they will be enormously difficult to dry. Um, you know, but most of the time, shutting the machine off, letting it sit for twenty four hours will let everything dry inside of there. Uh, you know, if you decide to put it into an oven to dry it, which I'm not too stoked about, but I know people who have done it. Um, be real careful about how high you turn the temperatures up because <laughs> nothing says, uh-oh, like wiping out the family stove with a, uh yeah, a terrible, uh, a terrible motherboard uh, burning incident. Yeah. Because if you have the kind of family where they walk up to the stove and, oh, it must be warming something and turn it up to 450 to bake something, it's going to get nasty. <laughs> It's just so horrifying to think about. Um, while we're talking about cooling, uh, Tails the Fox emailed Twitch at twitch.tv. Thermoelectric cooling, two words. Um and I was laughing because I pulled up the, the Wikipedia entry uh, to show for this one just out of personal amusement. Um, Thermoelectric coolers, uh, Peltier coolers, they use the Peltier effect, which is essentially you take two dissimilar metals, you run electrons through them, i.e. you, you run voltage through them, uh, and it creates a heat pump. One side gets cold, one side gets hot. Hint, you put the part that, the side that gets cold is the part you attach to the CPU. These were a big thing a long-ass time ago, I want to say in the 90s. And, uh, you know, it's pretty slick. Um, you know, you could get like a 60, 70 degree delta between the two sides, but condensation was often a really big issue, as in enough water would be generated to drip down onto the motherboard and short things out. So you had to be really careful how these were deployed. And they really got buried uh, by the performance improvements uh, made in closed liquid coolers and the rather epic dollar for cooling capacity improvements that were made in the air coolers. Um They still exist. Like if you go up on Newegg uh, or Amazon and search for thermoelectric cooler, you'll get like a big giant page. Most of them will be little sort of squares uh, of material with red and black wires running out of them. Hence, you connect those uh, to a power source. And uh, they're mostly for industrial applications. Um, You know, I was kind of... uh, Fascinated to realize that around 2016, a new thermoelectric cooler for desktop PCs was introduced um, yes. by, uh, I want to say, phononic, which is such a yeah. weird word you say. I, like, every time I say it, I think I'm like I'm missing something, and I look back, you know, at the webpage or at the, in this case, our spreadsheet, and... Uh, the uh, Phononic Hex 2.0 integrated 92-millimeter CPU cooler, which is a healthy 120 bucks on uh, Newegg, which puts it right smack in the middle of the cost of many of Corsair and their competitors in terms of closed-loop uh, closed liquid coolers. And uh, TweakTown did a review and Antec did a review, um, you know. They perform as well as large air coolers. Uh, Tweak Town was a little more enthusiastic about it because they were like, you can get big air cooler performance out of a much smaller package. And the Nantex approach was like, this is really good as a substitute for an air cooler, but it doesn't have the thermal capacity we want to see for overclocking. Um you know, but I was looking at it, it's like 120 bucks. Uh, it's slick. It does require a fair amount of power, and that's where a lot of people get frustrated um, with thermoelectric or peltier cooling is the fact that you have to run a fair amount of wattage into that device. There's an example right there: DC voltage source, and it's like you know, negative electrons flow through and pull the heat from one end to the other. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm sticking to my cheap, high-performing air coolers with occasional bursts of liquid cooling um, for when I get kind of unhinged with overclocking. And, uh, you know, if I get a 3950X, I'll probably be going into the garage and pulling the the full-on radiator out just to see if I can maximize the liquid cooling on that. Um you know, we mentioned it before, Cooler Master uh, Hyper 212 Evo, 35 bucks, more than enough capacity for the vast majority of devices out there. Um, you know, we've, I think between the two of us, we probably experimented with uh, a dozen, several dozen <laughs> air and liquid coolers. Um you know, But the vast, the, the truth is, is, if you're not overclocking, an air cooler is going to take care of you. Uh, if you are overclocking, that's when you need to start paying attention to cooling, unless you're going for aesthetics, in which case, spend all the money and take a look at Corsair's Hydro X series. Unless you want to get really insane and build out a system yourself. I can almost hear Sebastian shuddering in Michigan right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not. it's not for the faint of heart. That's why no. I sort of tempered my enthusiasm for it because it's like, well, you know, we work in an industry where companies are willing to supply samples to be reviewed. I would Man. not have gone out and spent this amount of money on liquid cooling. But just to look at this and see how easy it was for a first-timer to build it, see what kind of performance I could get, and sort of marveling at the aesthetics of it because every single component in the chain has addressable RGBs that all go into this controller and you tell the software what order it all is. You can create these effects where one cascades into the next, or you can, it's remarkable the amount of control you have over the lighting. I just stuck with rainbow like effects for all, all of my photos, but it's, uh, it's expensive. I mean, there's no, there's no getting around that. And it's, even if it was a dollar, it still would not be for everybody because Setting it up requires a lot of planning, patience, double-checking connections, and, you know, it's, it's very
0: intimidating for the first-timer, as I can attest. You got through it. You jumped. You lived. Your computer didn't die. This is a positive thing on all three counts. <laughs> yes. <sighs> oh, my goodness. Sapphire Pulse Radeon RX 5700 XT which just rolls right off the tongue. Um, you got that in for benchmarking. What were your thoughts on this latest 5700
1: XT? Well, it's cool. Very beginning. quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this August 12 was the beginning of the add-in board partner launch. I think that was the first day. Mm-hmm. So this was a, an early card that was sent out a couple of days in advance to press. And we were one of the outlets that got a chance to look at it. And it's kind of, your average aftermarket dual fan card. I mean, this is the, right. the Pulse series. It's kind of their budget-minded series. And then Sapphire has Nitro cards for their higher performance, a uh, little bit better cooling, higher overclocks out of the box. This has a slight factory overclock. The review ended up being, well, absolutely, it was a showcase for what you can do with a much better cooler with these RX 5700 series cards. And they released this in a Mm -hmm. 5700 and a 5700 XT. It became almost all about low noise compared to AMD's reference cooler. Because, at least in my case, the performance of this aftermarket cooler or aftermarket uh, card was actually slightly lower than my reference card. And after doing a whole bunch of extra testing uh, way into the middle of the night before the launch when I discovered this when I was making my charts... I realized that my press sample of the 5700 XT with the reference design, the blower cooler, is clocked a little bit high. So, really, I have a I have a permanent overclock baked into that card that I wasn't aware of because that was the only card I'd ever had. And I had you have to monitor frequencies and actually look. And even though Sapphire was putting about a 65 or 70 megahertz overclock on this, because AMD's actual stock card uh, they have three different clocks, and there's actually a fourth clock just to make it extra easy to comprehend. <laughs> there's there's the base clock, which is not actually the base clock. It's the clock that if you back the GPU into the into a corner with mark or something, it's the the right. lowest boost speed basically, and that's sixteen hundred and five megahertz on the reference card, I believe, or at least that's what they claim. And then the game clock should be about 1750. And then the peak clock should be somewhere around 2100 megahertz. If it can hit that, And that's like short bursts. Looking at GPU-Z with both of these cards, the reference card and the Sapphire card, I was seeing that the Sapphire card was actually idling at 1419 megahertz, which Mm -hmm. uh, looking at the reference BIOS... That should be 1,400, so it's slightly higher. Okay, it's a slightly overclocked card. But my press sample was running at 1,439. And that slight Mm. advantage was consistent across the board. It was like 20 or 30 megahertz higher than the Sapphire card at all loads. So I did some quick comparison testing, running a looped benchmark and observing and then charting the, the frequencies that I was seeing. And it was peaking higher. It was averaging higher. By about that thirty or forty megahertz, actually, so not the best uh, review when it comes to actually looking at what the Sapphire is capable of versus a true reference design, rather than my overperforming card. But <laughs> it was still, still very impressive to hear a card that under full load was more than ten dB lower than the reference card, and it was cooler at the same time. And if you bumped up the clocks, like what Gamers Nexus has done, because they do this. We were talking before the show. I think it was before the show. This, Gamers Nexus is very popular on YouTube with hardware reviews. Yes. And definitely check out their review because they have the same card. Uh, they do what's called normalized testing where they, they have picked 40 decibels as the number and they adjust the fan percentage until they hit 40 decibels of noise from I think it's 20 inches away with their sound meter on an open test bench. And then mm-hmm. they do their thermal testing. So with... AMD's reference card, they were targeting around 48 dB, I believe. It's actually kind of capped. Once it reaches like 48 point something dB, then the clock speeds actually start to drop, and it will throttle as needed to maintain that volume output, because they were concerned about using a blower design and having it get really, really loud. Right. But if you normalize that down to 40 dB, then you are reducing the cooling efficiency, and then if you increase this Sapphire card, which for me under load was like 38.3 dB, you're giving it a boost if you put it at 40 dB. You're actually increasing the clock speed from the factory defaults. So uh, Gamers Nexus, for their testing, they show a huge, huge disparity between the two cards because they're putting the reference card in a bad position because it's, it's uh, spinning a lot slower. And for a blower design, that's death. And then right. with this pulse card they're actually increasing the clock speeds so they're enhancing its performance the numbers that i got were still a couple of degrees cooler for both the edge temp and the hot spot like the hottest point they have a bunch of different sensors in this new uh, navi gpu core so the very hottest temperature was still a couple of degrees lower even at only 38 decibels under full load so if you are okay with 40 db and want to simulate what Gamers Nexus did, you're going to get even better thermals than that. So it just, it's, it's great to see an add-in uh board partner and, and see what a vastly better cooler can do. And if you're watching the mm-hmm. video, you're seeing Gamers Nexus uh their thermal results with that 40 decibel normalized testing I brought up. And we're talking GPU junction temps from 109.6 with the reference card. That's the hotspot temperature under uh, extended load with the cooler running slow to hit the 40 dB, still at 109.6. And that's where it started throttling, actually, because 110 degrees or thereabouts is where they start to throttle. And, of course, after this goes up, then AMD ended up responding, and they basically said 110 is the safe limit for these cards, which is... Pretty impressive that they're they're confident <laughs> it'll run safely at 110. This is seven nanometer, uh, you know, kind of new territory for silicon, but they're they're happy with 110 apparently. But you don't have to settle for that. And there's going to be a lot of other uh, partner designs we're going to see. I know uh, a couple of places posted a review of the ASUS Strix card a little bit early apparently. I haven't seen the U.S. outlets with that review yet. And then there's I'm sure a bunch of other Designs that are coming down the pike, but it's—I mean—as great as the RX 5700 series has been in our uh, testing and and around the web, it's—it's really close. The XT, especially, is really close to the performance of a Radeon Seven, like within five or six percent sometimes for a card that's four hundred bucks. Really, the only thing that was holding it back, and and. I think some people were kind of on the fence about making the purchase was just that blower design. I've I've heard so many negative comments, so much feedback about a blower-style cooler in 2019. Like, people just not really interested in that anymore. They don't want the 48, 50 dB under load. And I I get it. And clearly, as we're seeing, even with this more budget-minded card from Sapphire, you can get better thermals and lower noise with just a better cooler design. And one last thing before I forget, because this is something that's exclusive to Sapphire. Forget the the cooler design. Their, their software application, which I typically ignore. The vendor specific software applications because I like MSI Afterburner, and I you know there's there's a there's some standards out there for NVIDIA cards. I always use EVGA's Precision X One. Sure, but uh, the Trix. That's T R X T R I X X is the name of <laughs> Sapphire's utility. And uh, apparently in the past, it's been a rather loud uh, visually, this uh, utility, but they've toned it way down. It kind of looks like a uh, Windows 10 settings window now. Very flat design. But a very interesting feature is hidden in there. It's called Trix Boost, and it basically simulates uh, and gives you total granular control over a DLSS-like effect. Or you choose a lower uh, rendering resolution for your game, and then you point your game at this new resolution you've created. And their example, or my example, because they had said, hey, check out what happens if you just lower the resolution by 10%, and then upscale it by that same 10%, it's going to have a huge performance boost without any overclocking, and you won't be able to tell the difference with your naked eye. You know, obviously, screenshots will show the difference if you want to zoom in and and point to the edge of something or point to a color, tech like a texture. But if you are, are gaming on a 1440p monitor and you lower the internal resolution by 10%, so it ends up with an, an odd resolution that's like 1296 instead of 1440, you point your game at this new 1296p resolution and then let the upscaling take care of the difference. And in fact, if you're using one of the compatible APIs, which... Unfortunately, is not DirectX 11. Uh, that was something that excited some comment when AMD had talked about their new image sharpening technology that's available for Navi cards, but it only works with DX9, DX12, and Vulkan. No DX11, which is, you know, most games. So if you do have a DX12 or Vulkan title, enable this as well, and that will help with the quality of the upscaling. And I, I did this. I... I tested a couple different games in direct x12 mode metro axis and shadow of the tomb raider and i was seeing in shadow of the tomb raider it went up by about 10 frames per second without touching anything else and i was staring at the benchmark and trying to identify if anything looked lower resolution to me i thought i was seeing something in some of the color information but you really need you need to basically to do some screenshots to see this. And I thought this was this was great. And this is something that is not an AMD feature. This is a, they do the image sharpening. So you could potentially, like say you buy a, a shiny new 4K monitor and you don't have quite the GPU horsepower to game at 4K at the, the averages that you want. Maybe you can play a game at lower settings at 4K, but if you want to look at it with high graphical settings on a 5700 or 5700 XT, and you want those higher frame rates then this would be a great way to do that because with Radeon image sharpening you could set the game to a lower resolution for example set it to 2560 by 1440 and then have Radeon image sharpening assist the process of upscaling that to fill your 4K native display right but the that's a big gap and the idea of maybe just a 10 or 12% uh, disparity between the two and and having a slider to control that and look at the result until you're happy with it, knowing that with every percentage point you're gaining frames per second, it's really interesting. So I would love to see this as like a global setting, something that AMD takes a look at, says, Hey, we'd like to offer this because you can go the opposite way. You can create virtual super resolutions that are much higher than what your monitor can even produce. And then subsequently have it downscale and this was one of the ways that AMD was showing how you could even potentially come close to using the 16-gigabyte frame buffer of the Radeon 7, was basically game at 8K but downscale it to 4K by the time it hits your monitor with the obvious hit on performance that that entails. Uh, I tried this myself with Shadow of the Tomb Raider, by the way, on high. And Shadow of the Tomb Raider at 8K... (laughs) High preset. I think I was getting around one and a half to two frames per second. So that was on a RTX 2080. Like, you know what? This is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. Do not do this.
0: (laughs) This is not competitive.
1: (laughs) No. Do the opposite, though. Rendering your game at a slightly lower resolution and then upscaling it looks pretty damn good. So kudos to Sapphire for coming up with this. And it did work. It worked as advertised. So. If you buy it at a Sapphire card, that's the only way to do this right now.
0: Two quick hits before we thank our sponsor this week. Uh, if you've been thinking about buying a 3700X, as near as I can tell, uh, AMD's not quite flagship third-generation Ryzen processor is available at vastly inflated prices. Or you can go to Micro Center, a physical Micro Center store. As near as I can tell, Newegg sold out. Um, Amazon's been sold out for a while, so you're looking at uh, paying a hundred to two hundred dollar uh, vigs, and uh, the 3900 X's are being sold all by third party vendors for six hundred plus, uh, closing into six fifty seven hundred dollars on those. So <laughs> if you've been thinking about buying a next generation AMD system, either a wait or b uh, drive yourself to a micro center. Props to micro center for uh, uh, keeping those for their brick and mortar store fans and uh I, I gotta say it's probably a smart choice on their part. But uh literally uh if you're not them you're paying a lot more for these parts uh anywhere else. Uh exciting news if you're into little tiny consoles, um the NES Classic exploded into the universe a couple years ago, led to a flood of uh similar pint-sized reproductions of classic gaming consoles uh the crew at the verge has updates on the latest that's coming out the sega genesis mini and this thing is pretty ninja um 55 percent smaller than the original HDMI output of course um 42 built-in games for a Quite reasonable price, I think, of uh, $80. So if you are a fan of, yes, ladies and gentlemen, brace for impact, Sonic the Hedgehog, Echo the Dolphin, Castlevania, Bloodfies, Space Farrier Two, Space Harrier Two, Shining Force, Doctor Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, and then it just goes on and on. Altered Beast, Gunstar Heroes, Castle of Illusion, starring Mickey Mouse, Shinobi Three, um, Vector Man, Wonder Boy and Monster. It just kind of goes on and on and on. Uh, Tetris, Darius, Light Crusader. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, I, I think this is kind of a really good broad hit on all the different genres that were available on the platform. Um, I also got to say, I love the fact that they used a uh, micro USB input for the power on this. so You don't have to worry about losing a squirrely power supply that you can't replace. Um, yay. <laughs> yeah. And I will say too about <laughs> Not, these mini consoles, cause there's so many of them now. I
1: mean, we've seen, yeah. I think there's even a mini turbo graphics 16. There's obviously the Nintendo ones. We saw the PlayStation mini, which was much maligned. But uh, we don't have to talk about yeah, that. PlayStation Classic. Yeah, yeah the, the, the idea, though, if, if you look at the alternatives, obviously you can buy one of these compilation right. discs. I have the Genesis compilation for PlayStation that's really good. But there's something about, you know, being on an original console. But when you actually look at the trouble involved, it's find one if you don't already have one. And that means, like, go to your right. local game shops and pay whatever they're asking prices or go on eBay And then deal with that experience. And then if you want any selection of games, you're doing the same thing. You're hunting for games on eBay or at local shops. And it's just the idea of taking something the size. Yeah. Take something the size of a paperback book, plug it into your TV with HDMI so you're not digging around for adapters and things. Because let's face it, very few TVs have composite input without the use of some sort of adapter (laughs) anymore. And there's a few, but the list is short. To me, the experience is just not the same unless you're on a CRT. And these were game systems that were designed for CRTs. They look a little weird on LCD TVs, and you have to deal with, you know, when you can do the aspect ratio correction on most TVs,
0: but it still looks a little funny because it's upscaling no, something you that need is often around four by three, and you need black bars, and you need to just live with that because if you're scaling Sonic the Hedgehog, um, no, no, because well, then you're either you're either cutting yeah. off a big chunk of it. Uh, or you're making his face shape wrong and either one of those are unacceptable except for embrace the four by three and on the sega genesis mini you'll be embracing it i want to say september 19th is the launch date for that one uh if it's like every other it's a a
1: legal it's a legal way to own all these games that you may or may not have been playing as roms for the last couple of decades so
0: Well, and if you don't have the ROMs, uh, you know, getting them has gotten harder and harder because uh, the law has come down on many of the places that were hosting those. Um, Possibly to enable sales of more consoles, reproducing the games. And if you're a fan of an obscure game, then you're just Uh. screwed because it's going to get harder and harder to find those. This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware brought to you by Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile is an MVNO. What does that mean? They they take cellular access, they purchase cellular access from big, expensive places, and they bundle it together in a way that uh, they save you a ton of money. If, you, if you're still using one of the big wireless providers, I'll give you a hint. They're the ones that are buying each other at the top of the food chain. Um do you wonder what you're paying for? Because I often do. I know exactly what I'm paying for with my particular wireless provider, uh, a grandfathered-in plan with enough data to move the Titanic each and every month. Um, but look, when you're looking at the big wireless providers, you're paying for expensive retail stores. Um, you're paying for hidden fees. You're paying for their marketing. Uh, you know, you're know, you paying for the fact that they know you'll keep paying because you've been paying for so long, which is where Mint Mobile comes in. They provide the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost. Everything they do is online. Everything they do, if you're watching the video, you can see that happy little green fox there. Everything they do is about saving you money. They don't. They don't have retail locations. They don't have high overhead. They pass those savings directly to you. If you're looking at a seventy-five dollar a month phone bill, and I was, uh, and then I was, I, you know, I was, I was looking at a fair chunk of change because my son got old enough; it was time to get him a cell phone. Um, I was I was outraged. You know, he was going to do texting and he was going to do some phone calls. He wasn't going to do much to either one. And it, they were looking for a staggering amount of money. Mint Mobile, right? They make it easy to cut your bill down to just $15 a month. So I was looking at my son's phone and I'm thinking I can pay like 60 bucks here or I can pay like 15 bucks there. 15 bucks sounds like a really good deal, right? They have a three-month introductory plan. Every plan comes with nationwide unlimited talk, unlimited text um you don't have to pay for unlimited data you're not going to use in the case my son's phone there is really no way for him to use data so you you can you know get plans with three eight or 12 gigabytes of 4g lte data you can use your own phone with any mint mobile plan you keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts you can ditch your old wireless bill and start saving with mint mobile to get your new wireless plan for just $15 a month with their three-month introductory plan and get the plan shipped to your door for free, you don't even need to leave the house. Go to MintMobile.com slash Twitch. That's MintMobile.com slash Twitch. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month with their three-month introductory plan at MintMobile.com slash Twitch. And we want to thank Mint Mobile for their sponsorship of this weekend computer hardware. It's easy. It's so easy to move a phone to Mint. It's nice. I like affordable things. You know what else I like? Getting dust out of my computer.
1: <laughs> so you enjoy the process of
0: this or just not having it? I enjoy not having it better. Um, but, you know, what happens, even if you have filters, you know, the dust gets sucked into the filter and it stays there. Ettermax uh, did something really crazy with the Revolution DF850W. Um And I want to say Jeremy found this and did a quick write-up of it on PCPro.com. But uh, I was heartbroken by this review, um, uh, this review on FPSReview.com, because it doesn't seem to include the new DFRTM technology, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) which is built into this new EnterMax Revolution DF850. Essentially, there's a button, a switch. And if you hit the button, you Get dust free rotation technology activated, which essentially means they reverse the fan. And uh, if you, uh, it's pretty funny. If you, there's a second link up there, Kevin. And if you take a look at that link and scroll down, keep scrolling, it's so much fun. There oh, it is. Oh, here we go. Look at the, the reversing of the airflow graphic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hit the button. You know, And for like 10 seconds, the idea is that it's going to reverse the airflow and blow all the dust back off of the fan or out of the fan.
1: Um, Have <laughs> we seen this from GPUs in the past? I want to say maybe it was MSI. It was a, at least one vendor who had, when you first booted up your system, the fans would run the opposite direction for a few seconds, stop, and then start spinning in the normal direction again to try to get you dust know. out of the GPU. But I'm not sure how effective that really was.
0: I, I got to be honest with you, I think it would be more effective to put a filter between this fan you know, and the outside of the case rather than relying on reversing the flow to blow the dust out. Because you know, if you've ever blown the dust out of a power supply, it turns out a lot of that dust is pretty tenacious. So, you know, in any case, uh, the FPS uh, review website... He said basically, performance was excellent as a power supply. And again, I was a little heartbroken that they didn't go deep into an exploration of the actual button dust reversing action.
1: But well, you I mean, that video. graphic on Entermax's site is so, you know, it, it <laughs> takes care of it. I mean, one, one way that, yeah, look at this. There's even a video. If you're watching the video, by the way, we're watching Aha. what appears to be a video demo from Entermax themselves. Showing the DF switch in action, showing that you indeed do press it down. And then when you press it, like it, it does
0: change the direction of the air. Mm-hmm. The power supply. I'm just saying. In any case, it's out there. Uh, it's a decent power supply. Uh, I just amused me, the idea that you're going to have a button to reverse the airflow and get rid of the dust. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, I think it announced this week that kind of got me onto an exploration of uh, SSD cost at uh, SK Hynix. Uh, they make memory, right? They make controllers. Um, They've been making uh, SSDs for OEMs for a while. Um, This morning, they actually launched a new series of SSDs on Amazon.com in the United States. Um... So it's a two and a half inch SATA SSD, two fifty five hundred one terabyte configurations. Uh, it's three D NAND uh, with, of course, an SK Hynix controller. Uh, and they're saying that both the NAND and the controller, of course, are made by SK Hynix. Uh, one hundred twenty four dollars for one terabyte. That's about sixteen bucks more expensive than comparable models from Crucial and Western Digital and Sandisk. I guess you could say Western Digital and Sandisk are kind of the same source, given that uh, Western Digital owns Sandisk, but. Uh, that's about a fifteen percent price delta. So they're a little pricey than mm-hmm. uh, compared to what else is out there. Uh, includes a five uh, year six hundred uh, TBW uh, uh, total bytes written warranty. And it, I, I got kind of fascinated because I started nosing around. To put that into perspective: a a pricier one hundred and forty dollar uh samsung 860 evo uh has a similar five-year warranty but it covers up to 2400 terabytes on their terabytes written package uh and a 100 dollars one terabyte crucial 3d NAND drive uh also offers five years but 360 terabytes written or total bytes written i should say 360 terabytes of total bytes written guarantee um and put that into perspective. That's 197 gigabytes written per day for five years on the crucial with the 360 terabytes. So when you put that into perspective, you're looking close to 400 gigabytes of day uh, written as a guarantee for that uh, for that SK Hynix drive, or 2400 terabytes, which is a uh, is 1.6. Terabytes per day, something crazy like that uh, for the uh, for the Samsung. The math it gets boggling when you start looking at that. Uh, but uh, you know, we've been joking about Ryan's Law for a long time since uh, Ryan. Uh, was hosting the podcast, which is that idea of the $0.10 cent per gigabyte SSD. Uh, and for basic SSDs, not for NVMe SSDs, it is here in volume. There are tons of $99 to $110 one terabyte SSDs on Amazon. $200 to $225 will get you a two terabyte SSD. So if you want, for example, if you have a server box that you're running your video off of or if you of your audio hosted, uh, or if you want to get really crazy uh, with, a, uh, with a NAS system um, and you know, back it up because <laughs> I get a little nervous about running, uh, uh, running SSDs in NAS boxes. But you know, if, if you want to improve the performance of the thing you serve your music or your video off of, getting one of these SSDs is a way to do it and you're not going to really worry about uh, wearing it out because you're just going to be reading information off that drive, which is a little bit less traumatic to the device and writing to it. So SK Hynix, go on
1: today. Go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of traumatic, uh, I just, I was, (laughs) while you were talking, I was thinking, you know, the ultimate uh, way to add anxiety to Patrick's life would be to somehow implement a custom liquid cooled NVMe NAS. Think about it. (laughs) The added complication of custom liquid cooling All of your data on M.2 NVMe drives inside of a small enclosure. Yeah, that doesn't make me nervous at all. But what if we added a reverse (laughs) fan to remove dust? (laughs) Think about it. I could put this together into one completely uh, not manufacturable product that no one would ever buy.
0: Well, you could build it in small cases and charge incredible amounts for it. Perhaps as an Etsy product
1: true you uh, them, see this we, is what crowdfunding is for we'll have to test the waters <laughs> and then find an
0: oem oh, crazy no. enough to even promise to build this for me i have some friends that recently uh uh did indiegogo for a product launch who are sitting quietly assembling gaming headsets uh in a warehouse in illinois right now you might want to talk to them about that before you get involved in committing yourself to assembling lots and lots of <laughs> widgets um, other light news. Uh, I don't know if if you don't remember Amplify, which is uh, a, a consumer branch of Ubiquity that makes an actually very solid router. Uh, Robert Herron deployed one in his mom's house. He runs one at his house. It was my first mesh network in my house. Um, really, really well thought out uh, remote administration. Especially, they actually added a free Teleport app, um, which you can download for Google Play, iOS, and Android TV. So if you want to run a VPN and you have an app. Amplify system in your network. Uh, it's a pretty slick way of doing it. Um, so uh, I was kind of impressed by that. That's going to be a free addition. So essentially it'll allow you to VPN to your home network if you're worried about using the network on the road uh, and you have an Amplify system. Uh, hey, one last story before we go. Uh, FAA bans recalled MacBook Pros from flights. Um, this was, I, I was kind of fascinated by this. Uh, Bloomberg did a nice write-up on this. Um, the FAA sent airlines a reminder quote, to follow 2016 safety instructions that ban goods with recalled batteries, like recently recalled MacBook Pros from the planes. This is essentially a bunch of 2015 uh, MacBook Pros uh, that Apple quote, determined that in a limited number of older generation 15-inch MacBook Pro units, the battery may overheat and pose a fire safety risk. Um, We were talking about this before, and for some reason, I was thinking about water and battery fires because uh, of a friend that owns a Tesla. Um, But uh I would like to remind everybody that uh, (laughs) metal fires, which is a lithium-ion battery fire, uh, is if uh, memory serves a Class D fire. There it is. If a fire – Battery University has a great article on this. If a fire occurs in an airplane cabin, the FAA instructs flight attendants to use water or soda pop. Water-based products are most readily available and are appropriate since lithium-ion contains very little lithium metal that reacts with water, in which case it would create a hydrogen gas. Water also cools the adjacent area and prevents the fire from spreading. Research laboratories and factories also use water to extinguish lithium-ion battery fires. So that's uh, kind of fascinating. It's also interesting uh, that battery university says do not use a class d fire extinguisher to put out other types of fires make certain regular extinguishers are also available so if you know if you're particularly worried about battery fires in your home you should have a class d extinguisher but don't use the class d extinguisher for non metal based fires and that uh, gets into a certain level of of preparedness that even i am not entirely ready for <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Hey, uh, we're uh, actually enjoying getting the questions you guys are sending us. Twitch, T-W-I-T-C-H. No, Twitch, T-W-I-C-H. The Twitch with a T has an office in San Francisco, and they're not going to answer your questions. Twitch at TwitchyTV is the place to email them. We got a question from Bernard coming next week. We would also like to have your question on there. So do us a favor. Email Twitch at twit. Dot TV, or tweet at Patrick Norton or at Sebastian Peak on Twitter. Right now, you're looking at a website. If you're watching the video of This Week in Computer Hardware, twit.tv slash twitch is the website with information on how to subscribe on all the things, no matter what platform you want to watch or listen on, or just search for This Week in Computer Hardware, and you'll probably find us. And uh, I got to say uh, thank you to each and every one of you for listening, and thank you for listening each and every week. And if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do it search for Twitch or This Week in Computer Hardware on your favorite podcatcher or go to twit.tv slash twitch. For more Sebastian Peek, head to pcpro.com for more on me. Check out AVXL next week. And seriously, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. And with that, I'm Patrick Gordon. And I am Sebastian Peek. We'll catch you next week on Twitch.